Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. Through this podcast, we hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus and in living and loving like Him. True faith is discovered in the midst of painful trials. The things that seek to derail our faith are actually the things that deepen it. This radical faith is not a feeling or a philosophy. It is practical, visible, built over time, strengthened in a trial, and sustained by discipline. James paints this picture of faith and gives us the principles necessary to produce it in us all. Wow, wow, wow. Man, Christian Hahn can pick a set list, can he, in those powerful songs. Uh, man, it has been a, a busy but yet really cool week around our church. If today is your first time worshiping with us, um, we are glad that you're here. If you're looking for a place to call home, we, we believe this, this would good, be a good place for you to do that. Um, but as you're searching for a church home, man, ask questions, get to know us a little bit. If you're looking for the perfect church, don't come back next week because this ain't it. Um, but if you're looking for a place that will uh, love you the way that you are, but introduce you to a God that will refuse to allow you to stay that way, you're, you're in the right spot. You're in the right spot. So uh, our, our life groups um, launched this week. And I just want to take a moment and just thank all those who, were, who stepped up to lead a life group. We have hundreds of people that are going to be throughout this semester connecting in circles, getting out of rows and into circles to be seen and to see other people, to know and be known and to grow in their faith. And I can't wait to hear the stories of what God does as you meet with these groups of people throughout this semester. If, if you didn't take that step, maybe for some reason, like somehow you just missed it and life group enrollment closed and you're like, man, what do I do now? I really need that. We have a couple layers of groups in our church. We only, not only offer life groups, which do close and are a limited amount of people, and that's very strategic in why that we do that, but we also offer another layer of groups that we call community groups. They're a little bit more open, a little bit maybe less intimidating. Most of them meet in like a public place or at the church instead of somebody's home because you're like, I ain't ready to go to nobody's house yet. I don't know y'all like that, okay? Um, but it's here at the church, or we have a handful of groups. We have a, a one for young adults um, that's led by um, Austin and, and Megan Davis. We have one for not-so-young adults that's led by my parents. Uh, we have one that's for just all the women of the church that meets monthly, and then uh, we've launched one that's for all men of the church now that meets the fourth Thursday of every month, and I'm going to be leading that. And so there are ways for you to connect as we move throughout the semester. And, and go ahead and grab your Bibles and go to James chapter 5 because that's where we're going to dive in in just a moment. Access God's Word. However you're going to do it, don't be dependent on the screen. Pull up a, a device or an actual physical Bible. And for the real spiritual people in the room, if you want to take some notes so you actually retain what God teaches you today, that'd be awesome. Uh, and as you're doing that, I want to remind you, hey, tonight at 530, all across our county, people are going to be praying across the schools of our county. Um, tomorrow is kind of, I guess, the fi uh, official start of school, although some have already started. But tonight, every school in our county will have people on it praying for the students and faculty of that school because we in this county realize that the public school is the greatest mission field in all the world. It is. And so um, you're just asking, uh, and I, as I said, you cannot take God out of schools. As long as there is math, there will be kids that are praying to Jesus. 
Uh, but tonight at 530, all across our county, at every single school, there are going to be people praying, just kind of meet probably around the flagpole area or around the office. I'm going to be leading the prayer time here at Randall Middle School. So if you're looking for a place to come and pray, prayer words, come out tonight at 530. I know it, maybe you want to go to the school where your kids are connected, and I'm totally down with that. That's why, you know, we don't always have a ton of our people come to Randall Middle. But if you're, par- if you're a parent of a Randall Middle School student, come out tonight. Join me in praying for the students and faculty of our school. And let's just ask God to shower these campuses with his presence. Come on, somebody. All right, James chapter 5. We're finishing up a series through the book of James called Tried and True. So we're going to dive right in. James chapter 5. Once again, I'm going to read the whole chapter. Is that okay? Okay, let's go. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and malls have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. James coming hard in the first part, chapter 5. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence and you have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter you have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not even opposing you be patient then brothers and sisters until the lord's coming see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its vulnerable crop or valuable crops patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains verse 8 you too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. And the judge is standing at the door, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience. In the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count it as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And above all, brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or anything else. Only need to say yes or no, otherwise you'll be condemned. Is any one of you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anybody happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person, oh, it's powerful and effective. Elijah, see, he was was just a human being just like we are. But he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the Lord produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if any one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring them person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. And with that, James closes this letter. This letter that he had written to the church in Jerusalem when it's still in its very early stages of existence. I remind you that the words that we just read were written by James, the baby brother of Jesus. 
The one who grew up in probably the biggest shadow you could ever grow up in. The one who, for some reason or another, we don't know, throughout Jesus' entire life, questioned if Jesus was who he said he was and who everybody told James he was. And it would not be till after the resurrection that James would have this faith change where his brother has now risen from the dead and he has made himself visible and people have touched him and seen him and heard him. And now James says, hey, there was something different about my brother just like my parents said he was and just like everybody else said he was and just like he said he was. He truly was the Messiah. And it's just a reminder that you can spend your whole life knowing Jesus and not know Jesus. You can spend your whole life exposed to Jesus and not be changed by Jesus. You can know all the stats there is to know about Jesus, but not really know Jesus. You can sit in this room every single Sunday and not know Jesus. There has to come a moment when you move beyond just this head knowledge that Jesus existed and was real and did these things, and he was the one that you desperately need, the one your soul longs for. And that's what happens to James. And so James becomes a leader in the movement. James just doesn't become a believer. He becomes a leader. And he begins to become a leader in the, in the church in Jerusalem. These people that are finding hope in Jesus just like he did. And about a couple decades into this thing, he takes time to sit down and, and pen this letter. It wasn't really a book. I know we call them books of the Bible, but they're, they're really letters. That there's things that are burning in his spirit. And I think he's pinning these things out of his own experience and his own observation. That here he is trying to figure this faith in Jesus and what it really means to not just know Jesus, but to know Jesus. And he's wrestling with the issues of what that means and what that looks like. Because I think also there's a bit of him that's worried about what's going to happen to this movement that Jesus started. You do realize that the, the writers of the New Testament wrote with a very sense of urgency. Come on, you with me? Because at this point, people left and right are dying for their faith. And like they, they've got to make sure, I, I've got to say what needs to be said to the next generation to keep this thing going because our time is going to be up and I'm going to die and I'm not going to be able to, to tell my grandkids about Jesus or to tell my great-grandchildren about Jesus and I want to make sure the movement doesn't die with me. And I see some things in the movement that are threatening its existence. As a matter of fact, this, we think this book was written maybe around 55 AD. Remember, we think Jesus was crucified somewhere between 30, 33, 34, 35 AD, somewhere in that. So you're talking about like less than two decades into this thing. And then around 62 AD is when James would be killed for his faith in Jesus. So that urgency that he felt was legit. <laughs> There was a good reason for him to have that sense of urgency. And so he pins these things because we forget how, how fragile this thing was. And, and like as I'm reading it this time, and man, I've just enjoyed reading through the book of James. And thank you for the way that you have journeyed with us through this book. Thank you for the emails that you have sent as you have actually dove into the word. But like this week, as I, as I thought there even about this series, I struggled with what this message should be about. Because I kept going back to like, all right, why did James write this? And, I, and, and it's, it's still Christianity is in its infancy. And I think James is writing, and, and, and if y'all have read James, like James doesn't waste words. He doesn't mince where he is. That's why I like James, because James writes like I hope I preach. Let's just go straight to the point, get to it, tell me what I need to know so I can do something, let's roll. And that's the way he writes. But, but as, as Christianity is in this, this infancy stage, James realizes that it's important what he says. 
So he weighs his words very carefully because he understands something. that In infancy, there's always instability. In infancy, there's always instability. If that makes sense, say amen. I've been insecure all week about this message. Y'all going to talk to me today, okay? In infancy, there's always instability. Anything in its infant stage is very unstable. Like, have you ever held a newborn baby? Because their necks are all, and they got that little soft spot in their head. Like, like, they're, like they're just unstable. And then even like when, 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 a, when, a, when a kid first starts trying to walk, right? Like those first few steps, you know, the weeble wobble, but it doesn't fall. Like, you know, it's, it's very unstable. But like that's not true just about physical form. Think about how many things. This is a principle that's true all across our lives, isn't it? That in infancy, there's always instability. In the infant stage of a business, it's touch and go. Business owners, people start like you. In infancy, like you don't know, like most, most startup companies like, like barely make it to what, year two or three some of you know that like even in, in relationships, in relationships in their infancy, there's instability. That first year of marriage was hard, wasn't it? Thank you for one person in the room today. Like, like it's hard when like you wake up and they're there and you go to bed and they're there and you come home and you're like, I hope they're still there. Like you're, it's, in infancy, there's always like this instability. And James knows like, we got to make it through the infant stage for this thing to survive, which means we got to take people from infants as faith in their faith to mature in their faith. Like if this thing is going to last, like you can't stay a wee little baby. Like you cannot stay a baby in your, in your faith because in infancy there is instability. At first, things are really fragile, and, and, and if you don't grow and if you don't mature and if you don't allow the things of God to begin to take root in your life, it's not going to last. And there's some people in the, like I look around this room and there's some people that used to sit in here that don't sit in here anymore. Because somewhere along the way, like, yeah, it, like when, you, when you come to Jesus, like, it's, sometimes we have this emotional experience, and for three days, we love Jesus. And then at day four, we don't know we, where's Jesus. It's almost like, I, th- I think about when you're a little kid on Christmas, and, you, and you get an, you, you, you've asked your mom and dad, to, you've asked for this toy for, for years, like, right? Like, that's all I want. I, Christmas is going to be awful if I don't get this. And then you get this, and for about three days, it's fun. Come on, somebody. But I could go around the room and ask your kids, where are the toys you got for Christmas this year? And they'd be like, I don't know. We done sold them in the yard sale. <laughs> because, like, the luster wears off really quickly. And some of y'all are treating Jesus like a Christmas toy. Like, you were all about him for a little bit. And then you started running into some of the James that the stuff that James talks about where you have trial and you have tribulation, you have frustration, you have difficult things. And some reason you just let the the Lord has lost his luster. And you got to be careful. And see like James, James knew this. And again, I don't, I don't know what James was doing while Jesus was doing his ministry. Like we don't have any record that James is on the peripheral. Jasmine talked about how last week, like, like James had spent time with people who had spent time with Jesus and he had learned a lot of this stuff. But I just got to believe James was curious. 
And I think James was kind of from a distance always watching what Jesus was going to do and watching what Jesus was going to say. And he had heard Jesus say things like this, the parable of the sower, where Jesus talks about there's a farmer scattering seed, and that seed is, is, is the word, and that soil is people. And he said there's a different response and a receptivity to that seed. You with me say amen? Matthew 13, 20 says there's some seed falling on rocky ground that refers to someone who hears the word at once, receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Like, because they, they stayed in infancy, the instability remained. And yeah, the word fell on their heart and the word fell in their lives and it just kind of stayed on the surface and it never grew the roots that it needed. And so, because it, it didn't have the roots, it got uprooted because there was nothing to kind of anchor it. And like some of us, like, like you're in that stage right now in your faith and you don't realize how vulnerable it is. And the thing is, for you to grow up, there's some things you're going to have to do. But if you, there are so many people right now in the sound of my voice whose faith is more fragile than you want to admit. And I'm not asking you to feel guilty about that or bad about that. I just need you to recognize it. That's not me judging you. That's not me con condemning you. That's not even me scolding you. That's not, hey, just like realize that like, like I'm, I'm, I'm an infancy. And it's okay to be an infancy for a while. But you can't stay there. You can't, you can't stay there. Like it's okay to be an infancy. Some of y'all, you just accepted Jesus in the last few months. And it really ain't even about time. It's like you're still in that space. But, I, but, you, but you know how unstable it is. Because you know how, how quick-tempered you still are. And you know how difficult it is to still stay in the Word. And you know how difficult it is even to still get up every Sunday and come to church. But you need to kind of understand. Because remember what, what Paul said? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. So see, you need to grow up because then you will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Like basically Paul's saying, you need to remember that in infancy there's instability. Because infants are tossed back and forth and blown here and there and influenced in this way and influenced in that way. And you hear Matt say something and you hear this podcast say something and then you get out in the world and you read this and you get on Instagram and it says this and you get on Facebook and you just go down this rabbit trail of things that say that and it's just feeding in all those places. And it's okay to be an infant, but it, like we can't stay there because it's dangerous to stay there. Eventually, your faith will be uprooted, and it will go sideways in, in a hurry. And so, my, my, like, my, how do I know? How do I know if I'm still in infancy? And I think uh, James points a good attribute of the infant in chapter 5. An attribute of the infant is impatience. Come on, somebody. Oh, y'all patient people? Yeah, y'all patient. Yeah, y'all don't mind waiting. It's all good. Yeah, I'm fine. I'll just sit here. Like impatience. And see, like, I think what, what James is feeling, if you notice the tone of chapter 5, you can feel the impatience brewing among the church. Because can I let you know something? They thought Jesus would come back in their lifetime. 
Like, because Jesus used words like God uses, like, like, I'm coming soon, and like, soon for us is the next five minutes, soon's for God, maybe the next five million years, because God's time and our time just ain't the same thing. And so I think now these people are watching people die for their faith. They're watching it get more and more difficult to follow Jesus, and they're getting a little impatient. And I think they're thinking, like, James, Jesus said he was coming back. Let's go. Because I'm tired of waiting. It's hard being a follower of Jesus. Who knows that following Jesus is the most difficult thing that you've ever tried to do? Somebody's going to clap. We'll clap, please. It's hard. It is hard to follow Jesus. I feel like walking a balanced beam in the middle of a game of dodgeball, doesn't it? That's what it... I don't know why, but that, that, that is always just what it feels like to me. You're just kind of walking this narrow path and all the time. The world is just hurling stuff at your face constantly. And you're figuring out how to live this life. And it's patience. And see, like, infants are impatient. <laughs> Who got a kid that's impatient? Who got a teenager that's impatient? Who got a husband? Never mind. <laughs> and see, patience is a painful process. James 5, 7, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Hey, let me give you an example. See, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop? That's how you have to patiently wait. Knowing that, like, there's something happening. See, a farmer waits because you know why? He knows that even though he can't see it, under the surface something's happening. Like, he knows I'm waiting, but I'm not waiting just for nothing. Like, like under the surface, down deep in that soil where I, I planted that seed, even though I can't see it, something is happening. Something is moving. Something is working. And so I can be patient in knowing that what has been planted is working. It's growing. That there's something happening even when I can't see it. And it's good to know that, yes, go ahead. And see, that's the thing. When we get impatient when we don't think anything's happening. I have people tell me, I, like, I hate to wait. But can I be honest with you? Like, I don't, there, I don't hate to wait, but there are certain things, there are certain ways and places I don't like to wait. It's not that you don't like to wait, but when you have to wait in a place that, that's not fun, that's when you don't like to wait. Like, when you, go to the, when you go to the doctor's office in flu season, and they say it's going to be three hours, and you're thinking, in three hours and one minute, I'm dead. I'm going to die. These people are going to kill me. They're hacking and hawking and coughing. And I'm like, like, can I go sit in the car? You call me on my phone. I will be in my car. Spraying Lysol and hand sanitizer everywhere. But then there's a different kind of wait. In December, uh, Ashley and I got a chance to go to Dallas to watch our Clemson Tigers whoop up on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish to go to the national championship where they destroyed Alabama in the national championship game. Uh, well, I thought, and, and we in Texas, you know, we, we need some barbecue. So we did a little Google search and heard of this place called the Pecan Lodge. This place is like world renowned for like brisket and sausage and ribs. And we get there and the line is literally two blocks from the entrance. And now we went to Dallas thinking it was going to be warm, so we dressed that way. It was freezing in Dallas, and we're waiting outside. And we look at that line, 
And I think to myself, I don't wait like that. I'm sorry. But then we, you could smell the barbecue, Tony. <laughs> like that's the thing. The line's close enough to the, to the entrance where like you could get, you could smell it. And so I looked at my, I looked at my wife, I looked at Ash, I'm like, oh, we're waiting. I don't care how long we have to wait. We are waiting for this. And we literally waited in line for hours. But every, every now and then I would look at her and thinking, like, this is crazy. Let's just, let's just go home. And then the wind would change. And... <laughs> All right, we'll wait a little longer. And then we got in there, and I think we got a picture. Um, whoo, somebody just give God some praise right now. Because that is smoked beef brisket with ribs, smoked sausage, and fried okra. Somebody just had church for the first time in six years right now when you saw that picture. And let me tell you something. It was worth the wait. And see, when you know it's going to be worth the wait, it changes the way you wait. Come on. It changes the way you wait. When, when you know that, like, God is doing something. And, and, and remember, like, he even brings up the most extreme example of patience that you can possibly think of. Verse 11 says, you have heard of Job. I ain't waiting like Job. Of all the people, like, I can't, I'm not waiting like Job. Because Job's weight included losing everything he ever had. He says, but you know that with Job's perseverance and have seen, check this out. What the Lord finally brought about. That what was on the other side of the weight was worth it. And when you know that what's on the other side of the weight is worth it, you'll hang in there. Let me tell you, what's on the other side of your weight, what's on the other side of this difficult life as you pursue Jesus, what's on the other side of the persecution and the sacrifice and the self-denial for following Jesus, it will be worth it. It'll be worth it. What he is preparing for you, what he has on the other side, will be worth it. So do not lose hope. Do not give up. Know that it is worth it. But to get there, you got to grow up. Like if you're going to make it to that promise, you have to continue to develop and grow in your faith. Because if you stay in the infancy, there will remain the instability and there will always be a threat to move you off course. And somehow we have to find a way to purge childish faith while protecting childlike faith. Somehow we have to find a way of purging childish faith while protecting childlike faith. Childish faith is not good. Childish faith is impatient. Childish faith will let the littlest, smallest inconvenience cause us to abandon our relationship with Jesus. And that has to go, but all at the same time, the problem is when we hear the word maturity, so often what happens as we mature is we begin to lose our wonder. We get jaded, don't we? We get bottled up by our own experience. And it changes the way we pray, and our prayers get small. As we get more mature, sometimes our prayers get smaller. When shouldn't it be the other way around? Like when we, 
when we honestly grow in our faith, like we've got to purge childish faith, but protect childlike faith. Because childish faith, again, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly, for since there is jealousy quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Like he says, I still see evidence of, of this childish faith. And before I can give you the things that will build that mature faith that will allow you to keep protecting the wonder of childlike faith, like you've got to start allowing yourselves to move forward. And the problem is, I think the longer we walk with Jesus, so often we just kind of get to this space where we stop believing in the big God that saved us. And our prayers get just contained to what we've seen and what we know and what we can put our hands on and what's tangible. And there's going to be times for our faith to keep moving forward. We've got to pray really big prayers. Somebody like, like your faith is one big prayer prayed and answered away from propelling you forward. Like I've seen it happen in my life. Do y'all know how long that I prayed for our church to be worshiping in this space? For years. And all along the way, things happened and things happened and things happened. And I got to the point where like I just kind of had given up on even praying about us ever being in this space because I let experience in life tell me that it was not possible. I let my experience even cause me to start to doubt what I believe God had promised. And yeah, maybe... I had gotten rid of the childish part of faith, but the childlike faith kind of went with it. And again, James gives another extreme example. He says, remember Elijah? I said, okay, so we got to have patience like Job and pray like Elijah. Patience like Job, pray like Elijah. Pray, patience like Job and prayer like Elijah. Elijah, see, remember, he was just a human being. I know you think he was a superhero, but he was just a human being like you and me. And he prayed. And when he prayed, he prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain. And then he prayed that it would rain and it did rain. Like remember, like to keep, yeah, like purge that childish faith, but keep that childlike faith to keep asking God for big, powerful, beautiful, miraculous things. Some of y'all need to start praying a prayer that you once stopped. You let your life Hit pause or purge a prayer out of your life because you thought it was too big, too much, too large. And God's saying, you need to start praying that prayer again. Because that thing that you're looking for and longing for, it's still possible and you need it to even push you forward. So how do we, how do we purge out childish faith so that we have childlike faith? You need to know this, that maturity is found in the discipline of habits, not the duration of time. Maturity is found in the discipline of habits, not the duration of time. This is what I, I want you to know. The longer you walk with Jesus does not mean the more in, you become mature in Jesus. Like longer with Jesus does not mean closer to Jesus. So I mean, I think, well, like, like this, this is a time thing. That the, like the longer I walk with Jesus, that, that is not necessarily true. Longer with Jesus does not automatically equal closer to Jesus. Uh, there's, there's some people in the room 
that have been walking with Jesus for five years and you're more spiritually mature than some of the other people in the room that have been walking with Jesus for 50. Because it's not about the duration of time. It's about the discipline of habits. See, maturity in God comes from intimacy with God. You with me? Maturity in God comes with intimacy with God. And intimacy with God, the, the distance is, is erased with disciplines. When you, when you every day, you, you have the discipline to pray, you get a little closer. When you read the word more, you get a little closer. When you continue to connect and involve and build the relationships will not help your relationship with Jesus. The right relationships will help your relationship with Jesus. And when you engage in the disciplines that God has given us of prayer and reading his word and doing all these things, like disciplines erase the distance and create the intimacy that leads to maturity. It's not about walking with some of y'all, you got saved 50 years ago, but like are you, are you doing the things that you need to do to grow in your faith? Because maturity doesn't just happen over time. Hebrews chapter 5. In fact, though by this time, in other words, like the writer of Hebrews is saying like, hey, if time was it, y'all would be further along. Because in fact, through by this time, you ought to be teachers, and you need, but you, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of the word all over again. Like by now, like you've been walking with Jesus for a while, and by now you should be here, but you're not. See, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Do you see what the writer, he's saying it's the discipline of habit, not the duration of time that grows your faith into the place that it needs to be to move from infancy to maturity to be able to withstand what the world will throw at you. That's how you build faith to finish. And that's the point of this whole letter. Is James is saying, hey, someday I'm going to lose my life for my faith. It's just inevitable with what I see happening right now. I'm going to have the courage to do it, but are you? Because right now in the infancy that is your faith, I just don't see it happening. So let me, can, can we just talk about some things that are necessary? Can we talk about how that you got to be able to face trials and still stay true? Can we talk about how you got to be able to love people that even don't love you? Can we talk about how you're using your words? Can we talk about what's causing quarrels among you? Can we talk about the impatience that you're having? Can we talk about all these things? Because if you're going to have the faith to finish, you've got to move from infancy to maturity. You bow your heads, close your eyes with me. So then as James closes the book, as your head's bowed, eyes closed, asking God already what he needs you to take from this message. He says, so, if anybody's in trouble, hey, you need to pray. Hey, if you're happy, sing songs of praise. Hey, if you're sick, call the church elders to pray over you. Like, if there are things that you're experiencing in your life that, that are threatening or fueling your faith, either way, like, you've got to, you've got to do something with it. And so today, what do you need to do? What step do you need to take? What do you need to intentionally do in order to respond to what God is trying to do in your life, to grow you up, 
The movie from infancy being tossed back and forth by the emotion of the moment or, or the makeup of the atmosphere or whatever it is that's just allowing you to not have the roots to withstand. We're going to worship. I'm going to open up this platform if you need to come and pray. Just talk to God. Don't be in a hurry to get out of here right now because see, the seed, the seed is scattered. And in that same parable of sower, it says the enemy wants to come and snatch it up because you're too big in a hurry to go get your kids or you're too big in a hurry to go get to your car. Let the word sink deep into your soul, take root and change your life. Father, I pray that right now in this moment that you would move, that your spirit would show up in a powerful way and that you'd help people to do with your word whatever it is you desire for them to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. Stay connected with what's happening at Vintage by downloading the Vintage Church app, where you have access to sermon notes, upcoming events, devotionals, previous podcasts, and discover ways to connect in community. You'll also have access to our deeper podcast, which is a conversational deep dive into the message from the weekend. We hope you join us again soon.